You know, as we think about this time, the greatest thing about it is that we think about Jesus if we're following the season. And sometimes we kind of get wrapped up in the all the stuff that gets wrapped around Christmas, the gift buying, the, the parties. Uh, it seems so interesting that so many places start canceling events and... Uh, you know, and we want to be very careful that we keep Jesus in the center. And I love it And when we sang, Hark the Herald Angel said, and it said, Hail the incarnate deity. You know, we need to be very careful as Christians that we don't come up with the idea that Jesus started, you know, came into existence 2,000 years ago. He was from the beginning in in John, it says the word became flesh and the word was with God and the word was in the beginning. Everything was created. And I know I'm going backwards through those verses. <laughs> but, you know, we want to keep in mind, Jesus has been there from the beginning. He is the creator. He is the word of God. And we want to keep him in the center of everything and realize that the whole purpose of him coming and becoming flesh was so that he could live a perfect life and die for our sins so that we could go to heaven. He paid the debt we could not pay by becoming man and living that life. So today we're going to open in prayers. We, we're going to start in Luke chapter 2 and continue our series on when God turned your world upside down. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come before you and to just seek you. Lord, we ask you to guide and lead in all that were said and done. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 2, chapter 8, to start with. And there were in the fields in that same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy that shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us go now unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known to us. And they came in with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe laying in the manger. And when they had seen it, they made known about to the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as was told unto them. We read this story and we think, oh, wonderful, nice shepherds get to visit Mary and Joseph. Well, the problem was shepherds were not very high up on the importance in that day. Uh, way back at the very beginning, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were shepherds, they were, they were herdsmen, and they were very respected and revered. But the more the places became civilized and farmers started existing and people owned land and didn't just nomad around where the grass was, the more shepherds 
and goat herders and cattle herders became a nuisance. If, and if you don't think about this, I really don't like cowboy shows, but I've seen enough cowboy shows that when these guys are driving their herds around to, the, to uh, sell them off, they hit the places and those cowboys were never respected. Why? Well, for the most part, they were uncouth. <laughs> they spent all their time with the cattle. They stank. <laughs> they, they were there to spend their money. People wanted their money, but they didn't want them. <laughs> this was shepherds in that day. They stank. They, they spent all their time with sheep. You know, they were out in the middle of nowhere. The people didn't trust them. Who did God go to show Jesus to? The shepherds. Now, you've got to picture this. The shepherds probably were getting down. They're out in the middle of the place taking care of their sheep. And they're ready to settle down. What, what are they expecting? The worst thing, maybe a wolf or, wolf or a coyote in there, maybe a lion or a bear once in a while. But they're close enough to Bethlehem, they're still not even expecting that much. They're just out there, make sure the sheep are okay. They're going to have what they figured was another quiet night. Quiet night watching the sheep. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up. Now, if you know your Bible well enough, the first thing that ever happens when people see an angel, the first thought in their mind is, oh, no, I'm dead. <laughs> and it's amazing to me, you know, Zacharias was given this information. Behold, you and, you and Elizabeth are going to have a baby. Oh, no, I'm going to die. Okay, I just gave you information that you're going to live and have a child. Why are you thinking you're going to die? But this is the way it was in the scriptures. If you saw an angel, they apparently had some tradition that if you saw an angel, they were, that angel was taking you home. All right? The fear of these shepherds when they see an angel and it's kind of interesting because it says sore afraid in our, in our versions of the book, but the word in Greek is mega. They're mega afraid. <laughs> okay, we have that term, megawatts, uh, megahertz, which means a lot. <laughs> okay, these guys were terrified. And think about this. They're in the middle of a wilderness area. Watching over their sheep, might have had a campfire or something, you know, to stay warm and kind of, you know, talk. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up. You know, uh, and he, and the angel tells them, first off, the same thing angels keep saying in this Bible every time we hear them, fear not. Don't be afraid. This is something that we need to be able to realize. God does not want us to be afraid of everything. The world is afraid of most everything. It's amazing to me what the world fears. <laughs> you know, when I talk to people out there, you know, especially those that don't know God, they fear death, they fear life, they fear, they fear work, they feel, fear their family, they fear everything because they're not in control. And as far as they're concerned, nothing is in control. We as Christians... We have a God who is sovereign and in control. Nothing happens to us that he doesn't allow. So we should not have any fear because the future holds only what God will allow. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to like everything about the future. Okay. And all of us know there's lots of times when we don't like what's happening, but God has a reason for it. And if we go long enough in our life or when we get to heaven, God will show us why what we went through is good and was valuable. Doesn't mean we're going to like it when we're going through it. You know, and this is something we always have to remember. But these angel, the angel told them, fear 
not. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. And that's the same word, mega. Great joy, which shall be to all people. All right, shepherds, it's not just for you, but it is for everybody. One of the greatest things about the Christmas story in, in each part of it is how God worked to go to the lowest of the low. Went to Mary and Joseph. They were not rich people. And how do we know they're not rich? Because when they get ready to give the sacrifice for, for Mary's purification, they have to give a turtle dove. And the turtle dove was what the poor person gave. You didn't have enough money to buy a lamb or a goat. You go around, you capture a dove, and you just, you'd, you'd uh, sacrifice the dove. They were poor. They weren't even at home when this happened. They were, they were made to leave Nazareth to go to Bethlehem. Just a couple hundred miles would have taken about two to three weeks to get there so they could be taxed. Get to, the, get to the inn and there's no room in the inn. And Mary and Joseph get to have the shelter that night in what we call a stable but was most likely a cave. So the beginnings of the king of the universe, the god of the universe, was to the poorest of the poor born in a cave. <laughs> and you would think, well, God, you're God. You could have whatever you wanted. You could have been born in the palace with the, with the silver spoon in your mouth and the best of the nurses and the best of everything. But he came to this world so that he could be able to minister to the least of the least. One of the great things when I'm out at the prison is telling people, well, you don't know what it's like to be, be, this, you know, be falsely accused. And I go, yeah, you're right. I don't necessarily. I've been falsely accused, but I haven't gone to jail. But I do know somebody who loves you that was falsely accused. They go, who's that? Jesus. Jesus died on a cross under false accusations for us. He knows what it's like to be a slandered. He knows what it's like to be falsely accused. He knows what it's like to die, literally, for us. He knows what it's like to be poor and not have anything and have to be fully dependent on God for everything because that's the way he lived. An itinerant preacher wandering around, and he's told the disciples, he goes, foxes have dens and you know, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. If he didn't have some place, he just slept wherever he was at, and that was it. He knew what it meant. And his, his first announcement goes to shepherds. At this time, the lowest of all, shepherds had a, were, have been around forever. Our first reference of the battle between shepherds and farmers is between Cain and Abel. Way back in Genesis 4, Abel brought from his flock, Cain brought from the field. The sweat of his brow. The first battle between the farmer and the, and the herdsman that we know that is recorded. And the farmer kills the herdsman. Which isn't uncommon in history. When Jacob comes to Egypt. Egypt at that time is a civilized land where people are planting fields. They like having meat and everything. But they don't really like the fact that herdsmen are there. And Joseph's says to his father and his brothers, he says, don't tell them that you're shepherds because shepherds are hated. This happens all through history, and we can look all through history. As a place gets more civilized, more, more planted, the keepers of the animals get to be more hated. 
And we see it even in our area. You know, we see people who live next to a, a place that has dogs or, or chickens or geese or animals of some sort, and people are always complaining. They're too noisy. They stink. They, you know, they, you know, don't they know that this is a city? Don't you know this is this is a civilized area? <laughs> you know, and we in this town, we know what it's like to have cattle get inside this town. <laughs> you know, have your have your bushes throw, you know pulled out. Have your have your stuff knocked over because the cows are in town. That's what happens, you know, and we know how irritated we get because this is technically a civilized area, even though we live in the middle of BLM land where the cows roam free. These are what the shepherds were like. They were hated. You know, or maybe not, hated may not be the strong word, but they weren't wanted. <laughs> All right. And they're giving this news that unto you in, this, in the city of David is born a savior which is Christ the Lord. Do you realize that when we talk about Jesus Christ, his name wasn't Jesus Christ. His name was Yeshua, okay, which is Jesus. In our, but Christ is a title that is, is anointed. He is the anointed one. So it is Jesus, the anointed one, the save, our Savior. He came to save this world. And when they heard this term, the anointed one, they knew that the Messiah had come. And that the angels had told them that the Messiah had come. And, you know, we don't really understand how important this was because we live after the fact. The Messiah has come as far as we're concerned. If you're a Jew, Orthodox Jew, they're still waiting for the Messiah to come. We look back and say, the Messiah, and they're all waiting. And then back in this day, they're waiting. When's the Messiah coming? Here the, dis, the shepherds were told, the Messiah is here. He is in Bethlehem. And I can almost imagine them saying, well, why are you coming to us? <laughs> you know, why us? Why are we so special? And I think they expected everybody to be there when they went to see the Messiah because the angels had told them. They're on the bottom rung of the ladder. You know, surely the other more important people of the town have been told. But you know, it's an amazing thing as we get to walk with God. How often is it, do people that are in a good position ignore God? You know, just ignore him. And it kind of makes sense in some ways. They feel like they got everything under control. They're not happy and peaceful inside necessarily. But I have a house. I have food on my table. I have a good job. You know, all my needs are being met. I'm not very happy, but everything... You know, I'm not, not overly happy and not being fulfilled, but I got everything I need, and who needs this God? Now, God wants to give us a peace that passes understanding. And I love being able to just rely on God. It's nice that he gives me a good job. It's nice that, he has, that we have the roof over our head, and he's given us the funds to do it. But my hope and my peace is not in the stuff. It is in God. If he takes all the stuff away, we still have God. If he gives us more stuff, we better still have God. <laughs> okay? And I shared with you, I've seen many people get blessed out of their socks and get a lot of stuff and then walk away from God. Sometimes that's a greater temptation than being poor. When you're poor, you know you need God. When you're wealthy, sometimes you think you don't need God. These decide these Poor shepherds out there are probably thinking, you know, when we get there, we're, we're going to have a pack. We're going to see a packed house. We gotta, all we got to do is go down there and find out where everybody's at. 
The shepherd, the angels told us, you know, must have told the other people, more important people first. And they're going to get a surprise when they go to Bethlehem that there's not a crowd of people waiting for, the, for this. And then they said, this shall be a sign in you that you will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. Now, you know, I've been around church for a long time, you know, 48 years, I've told you all. I've always made, listened to people make a big deal out of the fact that the swaddling clothes were the sign. I'm going to tell you that wasn't the sign. Babies were swaddled all the time. It was not going to be a surprise that they were going to go down into the town and find a baby swaddled. Now you don't, I'm sure everybody in this room knows what swaddled is. That's when you wrap the baby real tight to give, to give them comfort. It was not unusual. And matter of fact, it was normal to find that. What was the sign that they were told? He's going to be laying in a manger. Because you didn't take your baby and go out to your, go out to your goat trough and uh, pull the manger, you know, feeding trough out, of the, out, out, from, out from the inside and put it in your house to put the baby in. So the sign was not that he was in swaddling swaddled. It's the fact that he was in a manger. Okay? Kind of limited where you were going to go look. <laughs> All right? I'm not looking in everybody's bedrooms <laughs> for this baby. I'm not looking in the living rooms for this baby. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go out to their, to their barns and their stables. I'm going to look out in their, their yards. I'm looking for a baby in those places. All right. The sign was not the fact that he was swaddled, swaddled. The fact that he was in a manger is what they're looking for. And then as soon as they had this, they saw a multitude of angels. One angel terrified them. <laughs> to see a multitude of angels, I don't know, I don't know what that probably did to them. But they marveled at this. And the, the praise of the angel is glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill to men. Glory to God and peace. I've shared the definition of peace so many times, but the definition of peace is the tranquil state of a soul assured in its destination and thereby not fearing anything. That is peace. We are so sure of our destination of heaven and the fact that it's God who's given it to us and that we have rest, that we don't have to fear anything. Do we have that kind of peace in our hearts? That is the peace that God will bring to us in there, a peace that is just so sure. Because what's the worst the world thinks you can do to somebody is kill them. For us as a Christian, what is the best thing that can happen to us? We die. Why? Because when we die, we're in front of God. We are where we want to be in the first place when we die. We hold on to this life because God has a reason for us to be here. But I agree with Paul. When I'm, when I'm done serving here, I want to go home. Paul said, I'm torn between the two. The, great, the greater thing for me is to die and, and be with the Father, but the better thing for you is for me to stay here to teach. Our desire should be heaven, but our need is here on earth. And this is where we are. We're seeing great peace, and that comes from Jesus Christ. He died for our sins so the Father could forgive us and take us to heaven. 
And we want to be able to look at this whole thing that he's going. And then when they were gone, they said, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. I just want you to picture this. They have just had their nice quiet night interrupted. They're going to go to Bethlehem. Bethlehem may have had 500 to 1,000 people. It was not a very big town, but it still had a number of families there. They weren't told where to go. They were told to look for a baby in a manger. And have you ever had to tell a story four or five times, six, seven, eight, nine times, and find out that it starts sounding a little sillier, sillier every time you told them? They go up to the first house, knock on the door. Is there a baby in here? The angels, the angels told us there's a baby here laying in, a, uh, laying in town here. What are you stinking suppers doing here? <laughs> you know, next door. <laughs> Is there a baby here in, laying in a manger? The angels told us that there's a baby here in Bethlehem who's the Lord Jesus, who's, who's, the, who's the Savior of the world, the anointed one. You stinking shepherds, get out of here. What do you think you're doing? You know. How many times, how many doors did they have to knock on? Telling the same story. We're looking for a baby in a manger. People would have thought, number one, they're crazy. These are the shepherds coming to our doors in the first place. They didn't want to see the shepherds. And then the shepherds are talking about the Messiah being born. You know, and also thinking probably, why would the angels tell you guys and not us? You got to picture this now. Did they go to every single house? Probably not. If there wasn't a barn or, or animals around, they probably didn't bother those houses. But they still had to go to a number of places. They might have a manger and a baby. <laughs> you know, their their world is turned upside. They were looking. They were looking forward to a nice, quiet night. Now they're having to bother all the people in Bethlehem that don't like them to find this baby laying in a manger, which is the Messiah. How many of us would have spent that long looking for a baby in a manger in a town where people didn't like us? Where they're looking down at us for everybody we're talking to. And we kind of know what it's like, you know, because this was a small town. This isn't a New York or, or a Los Angeles where things are going on all the time, 24-7. This town would have been a chloride. Sun went down, get in your house, stay in your house, don't go out. And you got these nutty shepherds looking for a baby in the middle of the night, as far as they're concerned, knocking on doors, looking for a baby in a manger. <laughs> because the angels told them. And the people are probably thinking, okay, you guys are stinky. You're, you don't smell good. What were you drinking? What were you smoking up there on that mountain that you're down here bothering us? You know, you guys are insane. Get away from our doors. And yet they persisted. And they found Mary and Joseph. They're the first visitors by what we're told. Nobody else is there. Mary has had to have this baby by herself with no family members around. Might have had the innkeeper's wife. She, the innkeeper might have called the local uh, midwife. So there may have been somebody and probably was somebody with her. But she's having a baby with a bunch of strangers. 
Now, in our day and age, we'd like to think that Joseph was there, but it was not man's place to be anywhere near the pregnant woman in that day. And it wasn't so long ago where the man couldn't be anywhere near his wife when she was having the baby in our culture. It only changed about 40, 50 years ago when a man could be with his wife while she was giving birth and now is encouraged to be with her. But even before that, you used to take them to the, you took your woman to the hospital, your wife to the hospital, she was rushed off to the maternity ward, you went over with the other fathers in the waiting room and waited. That's the way it was during Joseph's day. You know, if, if he was the only one, he would have been there, but they probably chased him away. This is, this is woman's work. You go, you go hang out somewhere else, and we'll let you know when the baby's born. But it was still the fact that she would have had strangers there, nobody that she was with. And they put the baby in a manger, a feeding trough, to hold. Jesus' first bed was not probably the cradle that Joseph had probably made him up in Nazareth. He probably had a wonderful cradle. He was a carpenter. He was a, a woodworker. Probably had this really nice cradle back in Nazareth. You know, uh, whatever they used for a high chair, you know, play toys, all back in Nazareth. And here they are in Bethlehem. And he takes the nearest thing that he could find to make a bed out of. Finally, the shepherds find them. And it says they told them what they had been told concerning the child. And all they that heard wondered at these things that were told of them by the shepherds. Wondered? Yeah. Well, those are crazy, those are crazy shepherds coming in in the middle of the night, waking us up, looking for a baby in a, in a crib. But I wonder if there were angels out there. But at the same token, they're wondering, well, why would the angels go to them and not us? Now, this is how low they were down. This, in our day and age, would be like Jesus going to the homeless people down the middle, you know, where, where they're sleeping in the middle of nowhere and going, hey, I'm going to tell you the good news first. And then them going out trying to share the good news with other people. And people looking at them, well, you're just a bunch of stinky, smelly people. Why would, why would you be told first? Trying to make this contemporary for us, you know, and that's exactly what would happen. You know, get a bunch of homeless people knocking on doors, get away here, We're not, we don't have anything for you. This is what was happening there, and the people were probably wondering, is it true? Is there a Messiah? Why would, the, why would the shepherds be the first to be told? And it says, Mary pondered this saying, which means she considered it. She turned it over in her head. She thought about it. Because Mary and Joseph are in the same place. They're going, why are we getting shepherds visiting us? <laughs> you know, we have God's son. Why isn't it the priest and the Levites here? Why isn't it the king here? Why isn't it at least the governor or mayor of, of, of uh, Bethlehem being here? Why shepherds? Jesus' birth was given to the lowest of the low first. And we want to be able to understand that. He wants us to share with everybody. Everybody needs him. Everybody needs him. Jesus said that he was called to the publicans and the sinners because he goes, those who are sick need a physician. Who was he talking to? The scribes and the Pharisees. Now, was he saying the scribes and Pharisees were not sick? No. He was saying, you guys don't even know you're sick. They know they're sick. Have you ever tried to share the gospel with somebody who doesn't think they're a sinner? It's a tough job. Well, you know, I, I know I do a couple things bad, but I'm really not that bad. 
I don't need a Savior because when I stand before God, I'm going to tell him all the good things I did and, and he's going to be okay with it. You know, they need to know that they are a sinner. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God is very important. But there are a lot of people out there that think, well, I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'm not as bad as somebody. And this is the bad thing about it because people always compare themselves to other people. They don't compare themselves to God's standard. It's fun out in the prison when you talk to them. Well, I'm really not that bad a person. I'm better than most of the guys in this place. I'm going, well, you're picking a really good group to be comparing yourself to. <laughs> the guys that are in prison, are you're better than most of the guys in prison. That is impressive. Well, you know, I'm better than a lot of my friends outside. They just didn't get caught yet. Okay, you're still really picking the right people to compare yourself to. God has a comparison that we can't stand up to because he says, how do you compare to me, God? And we cannot compare to God. And when we stand before God, these people who think they're going to talk about how good they are, their mouths are going to be shut fast. Because all of a sudden, they're going to see perfect righteousness and holiness and realize that all their good is just a bunch of garbage. God has a way for us to go to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. He is the only way to the Father because he paid the debt that we couldn't pay and says, I'm going to give it to you as a gift. Mary's pondering all these things, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. Their life was turned upside down that night. We are not very respected. Nobody likes us, and the angels show up. They get to be the first visitors that are recorded to go see the Messiah. The first. Nobody else could ever claim that, claim that title. The first visitors were shepherds. And again, I want to point out, not our idea of shepherds. You know, these, these nice little guys out there, they're well-respected. Well they took care of the sheep. Let's put it homeless. <laughs> homeless people, the first ones. And I know that they're not homeless, but I'm just trying to bring it to our day and age. The homeless guy sleeping out on the park under the bridge was the first one to come and see the Messiah. That's how low the shepherds were. You know, the first ones. What honor they got from God. Jesus is going to raise the idea of shepherding up because he says, I am the great shepherd. And then he calls his pastors and leaders shepherds of his people, saying, these are people taking care of him. And he raises the level of shepherd back up. But you know, in our day and age, pastors are looked down on. You know, you guys are dependent upon your church. You know, your church is taking care of you. And it's, no, we're taking, care of, we're taking care of our church. We do get some reward back from the church, but we take care of the church. We take care of the people. We make sure they're fed. We help them grow. We help them correct their life. And that is what a shepherd does with the sheep. And this is the goal that we have. Their lives are turned upside down. They're never going to be the same again. They saw the Messiah first. They saw the angels announce it. You know, a lot of people will say, well, 
well, why does God need us to speak? He can use the angels. Yes, he can, give, he can use the angels. He's used the angels many times to speak and give the good news. But he gives us the privilege of sharing him with others. I don't know how many of you have had a chance to actually sit, uh, witness to somebody and actually pray with them as they accept Jesus Christ. But there's only one thing greater than that experience, and that is the day you get saved. <laughs> And if you want to re-experience the idea of what salvation was like and you've been a mile and you've kind of forgotten what it is, start witnessing to people and be with somebody when they actually ask Jesus in their heart and you see their features on their face soften and you see them change and they go, I feel so light, I feel so clean, I am forgiven. And they know that they're forgiven until somebody comes along and tries to convince them otherwise, but they know at that moment they are forgiven forgiven they have peace they have a changed life and they know it the second greatest experience you can have in your life is that helping them come to Christ first one better be your own salvation <laughs> you know I remember Christ coming into my heart 48 years ago being saved and having that peace come across me and having my life changed Yes, I was only a kid. I didn't have any great big sins, but I was not a nice kid either 48 years ago. I was mean and had no problems being mean. But God changed me in a heartbeat. This is the goal of being saved. In Corinthians, we're told, for anyone who is in Christ is a new creation the old is passed away. Behold, all things are become new. When we become a Christian, we are a new creature. And we slowly start getting sanctified. God starts making us perfect. It's going to take him the rest of our life. And we still won't be perfect. But the longer we walk with him, the more he changes our life. And the more we realize that we look back and we go, I used to be able to do this, and now I can't even think about doing it anymore. You know, I used to be able to do this, and now I, I'm, it bothers me to even consider it. I can't do it anymore. And some of the things he takes away aren't even sinful. They're just things that says, would you do this or do this? I want you to spend more time with me. Spend more time with me. And we start spending more time with him and less time doing other things. But, you know, God wants to change our hearts and grow us. You know, it's one thing to be saved. You know, that's simple. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I, de I deserve punishment. I believe that you died for me. Come into my life and, and be my Lord. Making him Lord is a whole other story. It's going to take us a long time to do things his way. And that's going to depend on how much do we get into his word. How much do we share God with other people? How much do we have him change our life? And then eventually we start becoming more like him. And we start realizing, I can't do this. I can't do this. I want to share. I want to tell others. I want to do this. And this is where the shepherds are. They're telling, they, they, they bothered a lot of people in Bethlehem looking for the baby. <laughs> Retelling the story over and over again. And they left remembering and rejoicing, we have seen the Messiah. We have seen the Messiah. The next group that they're going to see on the Messiah, and we're not talking about them this year, is going to be Simeon and um, Hannah. Hannah. <laughs> Anna. 
in the in the ta in the tabernacle, when they go to to give him uh, for Mary's uh, purification ceremony, they're going to rejoice that they saw the Messiah. A year or two after that, we'll have the wise men coming to see Jesus at the home in Bethlehem that they're renting or or they're staying at. You know, so we have all these stories. And we compress them all into one. One, one event, but there's a long period of time, about two years, involved in the birth of Jesus that we compress all into one big story. But you know, these lives were changed. They now had God has spoken directly to us. We have seen the Messiah. Now, the Messiah is going to disappear for 30 years thereafter. <laughs> but they go, we've seen the Messiah. Have you seen God in your life? If you're saved, hopefully you know what it means to have him in your heart. If you're saved, you know that he's in your heart. If you're not, get to see him. Make him part of your life so you'll have that peace. If you're not, if you are saved, then we just keep God in front of our minds all the time. How do we do that? We get into his word. We get into the word and let it change us. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed to your law? How do we change our life? We read his words. We keep his words. We start learning from him over and over. You know, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Is in Psalm 119 also. If I want to be able to live according to the way God wants, I must get to know his word. Because I have to change the way I think from the way of the world to the way of Christ. Now, he will help us. He fills us with the Holy Spirit. But we have to do something, and that is start putting the Word of God into our mind. The Holy Spirit is not just going to say, okay, I'm here. Let's fill your mind with the words. He's going to say, you're going to do something, and your job is to put the words into your mind so the Holy Spirit has something to work with, and he'll remind you. Now, it's really fun once you start getting the word of God in your mind. You start getting ready to do something. probably this verse that pops back into your head. Mm -hmm. you, know, you shall not lie. You shall not bear false witness. I know you want to kill that guy, but you shall not murder. <laughs> you shall not covet. You, know, you are the temple of God. Be careful what you put in there. All these things will start popping up into your mind as you start thinking about doing the wrong things. And the Holy Spirit will say, yeah, here's this word. Here's this verse. This is how you're supposed to live. You know, and we talk about this on several occasions. You know, God's desire when he says that we shall not lie, he says that the truth is to speak the whole truth. Okay? Now, in our courts of law, we, we swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I don't know how many of you have ever been a witness in a, in a, in a case, but if you talk to the lawyers, they tell you, you answer the question given to you, Nothing more, nothing less. So we swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, the way God says to do it, and then we're told to lie by God's standard. Now, they won't tell us that we're lying. They're just saying, if you leave things out, it's not a problem. That's not God's definition of truth. God's definition of truth is not telling just the minimum of what you need to be telling, to be tell, telling the truth. Well, you know, Dad, um, I did go out last night. <laughs> 
Well, did you go to the church? Like, well, no, I didn't go to the church like I told you to. <laughs> like I told you I was going. Well, where did you? you know, dragging the truth out is not telling the truth. <laughs> okay. So God says to speak the truth. The world tells us, ah, yeah, truth is good, but just tell what you have to tell. You know, the world will tell us, and we hear this all the time with people that are newly married. You know, now that you're married, you can look, but you can't touch. <laughs> No, God says in the scriptures, don't even look with lust. <laughs> you know, and we'll say, do we get into what God says? Do we follow what he says? Or do we try to follow what the world tells us? And we can keep going down the list over and over. Everything that God tells us, the world will tell us something much less. What is affecting our thinking? How are we thinking? Are we going according to what God says? Or are we letting the world flood into our mind? And it's easy for us to let the world Number one, we are flesh. We're going to desire what the world wants anyway. That's why our flesh must be crucified with Christ. And then we fill our mind with all the garbage that we fill it with. On television, on movies, on books, on music, and all these things we flood our minds with and then wonder why we act so bad. Now, I, I think I've told you all, I worked at a place one time and they had rap music in the restaurant and I'm going... I didn't like it, and then after about three days, I understood the words, what the words were saying, and we did not have rap music from that point on. Because I'd listened to, to it, and I all, all of a sudden realized what filthy lyrics were being said. Now, I don't have much a better opinion of most of the world's music either. I used to love country music, and all country music about, is about uh, you know, adultery and fornication and you know, losing this and losing that and drinking. I don't have much much faith in that one do i want to fill my mind with things that are not godly no that is for each person to decide but what do we fill our mind with how are we thinking you know and i've heard more people well you know i love the songs but i don't i don't really listen to the words as they're singing every word to the song that's playing on this on the radio but they never listen to the words you know, you, every time you talk about this, really a bad song, well, I don't listen to the words anyway. You were just singing the song. Right. You know, so obviously you're listening. The problem is we are listening. Even if we have something on just in the background for entertainment, we, our mind is registering it. We are hearing. We need to be careful what we listen to. What do we fill our minds with? Because God's word is what's going to cleanse our minds. It's what's going to, and I'm not telling you you have to be reading the Bible 24-7. <laughs> it would be nice if you could, but that's not practical, and I know that. But what do you feed yourself with most of the time? It's very important. Do I spend time in God's word? And I've shared with you, I believe God wants a tithe of our time, which means two and a half hours a day. Two and a half hours every day with him, at least. That would be a good goal to shoot for. Because <laughs> most people don't spend that much time with God every day. Sunday's not too bad. If you come to Sunday school and church, you've spent two hours with God. <laughs> you got you to take care of it. If you came to Sunday school this morning and you stayed for church, you've got your two of your two and a half hours already taken care of. But how about Monday, Tuesday? We'll skip Wednesday and Thursday here because we have a Bible study. We'll give you an extra hour those days too if you come to those. Friday, Saturday. Does God get his share of your time on those days? 
And I've heard people, well, I just don't have time for God. Well, let's see, how long did you spend reading your newspaper? How much, how much TV did you watch? How much time did you spend in your books? Could any of that time have gone to God? You know, we want to be careful with this because the word of God changed the shepherd's life. And they would have forever remembered God appeared to them. 33 years later, they're going, to, they're going to see Jesus crucified. Do they remember them as, at that time? I don't know. I don't know if they were going to continue trying to track him or not. But the man who says he's from Mas the Messiah from Bethlehem is, is being killed. Probably would have meant something to them. So we want to be able to look at this and see where we're at. And remember that when God turns our life upside down, he's trying to accomplish something. We may not like what he's trying to accomplish. Because sometimes it hurts to follow God. Pain in our flesh because God's going to give us humility. He's going to take us out of the picture. And if we think it's us, he's going to help us remember that it's not us doing the work. He's wanting to say, I live through you. I am the one that fills your mouth. I am the one that guides you. And it's very important that we, we die, he lives. More of him, less of us as we walk in. And sometimes that is very painful for him to kill off the, the us. To put our flesh on the cross and crucify it so that he can live. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. Lord, if there's anybody listening to this message online that does not know you, or even in this room, Lord, we ask that today they will confess that they're a sinner and ask you to be their Lord and Savior. And we, they will seek after you with their whole heart. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.